Welcome to the Player Engage podcast, where we dive into the biggest challenges, technologies, trends, and best practices for creating unforgettable player experiences. Player Engage is brought to you as a collaboration between Keyword Studios and HelpShift. Here is your host, Greg Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Player Engage podcast. Greg here. Today, we're thrilled to feature Stephen Peacock, a tech leader who significantly impacted the gaming industry. With a career spanning over two decades, starting as a field as the first field engineer for AudioBrain, then following that up with transformative roles at Amazon Web Services, and now the head of games AI at Keyword Studios. He continues to shape the future of game development. So join us as we dive into a conversation full of insight from a visionary who's at the cutting edge of gaming technology. Get ready for an inspiring session. Thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Do you have anything you'd like to say? Uh, no, but I should carry you with me on the road to, uh, to, to to hide me. That was a pretty good intro. Thank you. I think I'll try and live up to it at least uh, hey. for the rest of my career in games. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, let's start off kind of just what's new in the news, right? It's February 1st today and AI tools are emerging at a crazy rate. It seems like about a year and a half ago, we were introduced to open AI for more of a public side where, where consumers can start using it. But today I follow you on LinkedIn and you're trying all these different headshot types of AI tools and other types of AI tools. So, you know, February 1st, 2024, what are some of the AI tools that you've played around with recently and do any of them leave a mark on you or is it just kind of fun to play with uh, yeah i do like playing with them um and and uh i don't use my headshot out of vanity it's the only uh it's the only head i have multiple photographs of and and the more you photographs you have the more uh the, the better the training um so yeah i've been playing with them i uh i tried one the other day uh this name's escaping me I, i'll uh, i'll try and look it up uh while we're chatting here but it's it's got quite a nice system for for both creating you as an actor and then also uh, a flow to put you into some some small roles and uh i did actually create a video of me as like the winner of the t the uh the isle of man tt uh, saying something something absurd it wasn't bad uh my family wasn't impressed uh they told me to keep my day job but um, it did at least look better than the last ones I put up, which uh, I put up a set of headshots and everyone said, hmm, could be related. I can see the resemblance. So uh, it's it's fun to see where these tools have got to. You know, on the tech side as well, uh, when people are first starting to play with these, I, I like to encourage them to do things like uh, ask it about yourself, right? It's, it's key to... It's important. This is why the headshots and doing doing yourself or like being so self-centered is kind of good because most people are an expert on themselves. So if you get a photograph of yourself, you look at it and go, eh, that's not quite right. Or if you ask it for your resume, I mean, geez, according to uh, last time I tried ChatGPT, I was way more impressive than even you made it sound. Uh, ChatGPT actually credited me with uh, co-founding uh, Activision and I don't know if I missed that decade. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a huge part of my career that I apparently do not remember. Um, so, uh, but it's always fun to to play with these different tools and see where they're getting to. And I'm, I'm making light of, of some of their capabilities, but these are amazing pieces of technology and have you know just yeah, how much improvement and how much uh, advancement has been made in in just the last couple of years. I've been I've been doing this for like five years, and in the last two or three years. It just seems to have been, you know, like a Cambrian explosion is a term I've heard. You know, it's like, oh, wow, like all these different things coming out suddenly. Uh, so yeah. it's been very exciting. 
I, I love your two comments because I think it's really important for people to understand. Like, first of all, you're testing with your own headshot. You're probably going to be your harshest critic, right? So if you want to judge how well a tool works, test it on yourself because if you don't think it's going to look good, I mean, you're again, you're going to be your harshest critic. And then the second part of that was if you check yourself, like throw your name into chat GPT and see what it has to say about yourself. Again, you'll understand what type of BS might come out of that tool. So next time you use it, you might be a little more wary on that. So I think those are really two great takeaways that in light, it's a funny thing to say, but it, it's a really great way to test out these tools and see what their capabilities are. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's take a step backwards about your role, because I think it's a cool role. It's a cool title. And I think I want to understand and that our audience will want to understand what it means. So what does it mean to be the head of games AI for a gaming studio? Well, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I read an article. Well, I, I read sort of an article about the new the new hot title being the head of AI. I've been doing that for a couple of years, and and the the question was like, what do they do? Um, so uh, it's it's very interesting, and it, and it I think it's the best job in the world. Um, I say I've been doing it for a couple of years. I was doing it for a few years at, at Amazon as part of the AWS Game Tech for a few years before joining Keywords, and so it very much depends on where you are, right? At, at Amazon. The role was about identifying uh, where this very exciting technology could fit into game production. Uh, at Keywords, and you know, actually one of the key reasons I wanted to join Keywords, I wanted to get closer to actual production. Right, um, I wanted to be working with with artists, programmers, you know, uh, all, all the creatives uh, that are using this, all of the people at the back end. Who are working on live ops or trust and safety or community health? I wanted, you know, I'd, I'd been advising where these tools could fit into their pipeline, but but as a technology provider at Amazon or or anywhere else, is you know, you're kind of at an arm's length. You're you're a technology builder. You're not the user. And so for me, the opportunity to join Keywords was was uh, quite irresistible because it gives us. Uh, Keywords is is both, right? Keywords is a technology company, but it's also got all these amazing uh, creative people and and people who work in game production to build games and run games. And so the exciting thing about my new role, uh, because I've only been here a couple of months, is how much I'm learning about AI as as the rubber hits the road. Right, you know, there's there's the theory of oh, this is going to be great. It's going to identify all the toxicity in the conversation, or this is great. It's going to do it's going to do translation, do it real quick, or, or create art, or whatever it is that the technology people believe their product is going to do. And then there's the reality of how does it actually do in real real life? You know, double A, triple A production. Right? How how ready for battle is this technology? Is the quality there? Is the reliability there? Is the controllability of the tool there, right? Those are very interesting conversations. So as head of AI, uh, head of game AI at Keywords, big part of my job is, is is the same as it's been since since my first days at Alien Brain, really. It's looking at, you know, a new technology, a new capability, trying to fit it into, um, into production where it's going to be beneficial. You know, don't try and overhype it. Make sure it's, it you know, set expectations right as to where it can and can't fit. And I've always been a big believer that there's a space for a technology. It doesn't have to solve every problem to be useful. To be useful, it just has to solve enough problems to be useful, right? And so, often, if you're on the tool creator side, right, and your marketing department and your sales team come in, it, it can 
it can sometimes run away from them. And it sounds like it's a tool that solves all the problems. Um, yeah. You're saying, so. don't, you're saying don't overhype it. It's crazy. That's what it's all, all is about right now. But, but it's fun. I, I mean, I understand it being a fun role, but I also could see it being a, a a mind going crazy role because I mean, at keywords on the create side of the company, right? There's 23 to 25 studios of creatives creating games. And I have to imagine with 25 studios, number of individuals at each, you're probably looking at way too many AI tools. I'm sure everyone wants to look at something or test something or play around with something. So like, do you have a a quick litmus test to say, hey, is this a valid type of technology or not? Or are you just kind of going with open eyes and arms and test it out? Um, so there's a couple of ways to look at look at these technologies when you're considering them. I mean, first thing is, um, is there an actual use case, right? Because there are a lot of technologies, and this is this is just the nature of technology, especially with the way the the, the software industry has moved. It's become very much you know, research projects are getting launched as product. They're, you know, research papers become startups incredibly quickly. And then there's this phase where they go looking for a market fit. They go looking for a reason to exist. You know, software used to be harder to build, harder to ship, harder to get awareness than it, you know, you know, a decade ago or, or two decades ago, it was much harder. So you didn't sort of just throw stuff over the fence and see if anyone was interested. You you know, it was too much of an investment and then you, know, you had to figure out how to get them the CD and pay attention, right? And there's it was just much harder to reach people. So nowadays we do have this environment where research papers become startups, right? And they're they're looking for market fit. You hear them talking about that all the time. And so the first thing for me is like is is where is the actual need on on the floor, right? There's there are some tools that that break the paradigm so much that you that you when you look at it you think well maybe this could completely change how we approach this problem and so you have to step back and look at the bigger the bigger challenge that the group is trying to solve but often where these tools are really valuable is the being able to pick up on work that people really don't want to be doing uh, looking for the grind right i know some people like to play grindy games but i you know a lot of people, when you ask them for the grind in their work, they, they, they'll tell you about some tasks. And I found that very often those are the kind of tasks that <laughs> that computers are actually pretty good at, right? When 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 you ask uh, someone what they do and don't like about their job, they rarely, they rarely say, oh, I wish I didn't have to do all this really creative stuff. I wish I could balance more spreadsheets, right? Or <laughs> things like this. So it's... Um, it's often a good place to look for those use cases. So when I'm looking at technologies, it's that, but also where are they in their evolution as a as a technology? Because it's a difference between it, if you're looking to adopt technology as a very small indie and you're looking to be very experimental in the kind of game you're building and you're looking to take risks and experiment, you might be looking at technologies that really don't fit into AAA production for a whole host of reasons, right? Um, it's now it's it's a major IP with, you know, an install, you know, a massive established fan base who know what they expect from the next iteration of that IP, and they know what gameplay they expect. And it's a public company, so they have to be more careful than a small indie. And so it's it's really about, 
Have you got your T's and C's set up? Have you got your, you know, your business model? Are you built for scale? Uh, is there reliability? Is there enough control? You know, because when you start to get to large scale production, where a lot of these startups struggle is that they work in a particular case. So long as you squint and look at it just from this direction, it, it produces really great results. And that's not just an AI challenge. I mean, tools of you know, software has done that for ages. But in in large scale production with hundreds of people on the team, these tools have to be very scalable, very reliable. And that's one thing I look at when we're we're looking at new technologies. So there's two things you said there that really stood out to me. And I think it's it's great points to be made. I think the first one is how quickly companies launch these days, right? Companies are launching uh, with a product they think is cool, looking for a problem in the marketplace. And when you're looking for a problem and you're going to create a problem, your product's probably not going to catch on because there's no real problem to solve. The other one I like that you pointed out is you know, people work their day jobs and they want to get rid of their, their grind, the grindy work, right? And, and being from help shift, right? We, we sell bots and we don't want to replace everything with bots. We want the grindy work to be replaced with bots, resetting users' passwords, doing all this stuff. So I think it makes a lot of sense when you look at what is that low-hanging fruit. We don't want to replace everything. We don't want to replace most humans, right? We want to get rid of the grindy work so you can focus on things that are more important and bigger picture. But uh, th- this makes a bigger question, right? And, and I am fortunate enough to be hosting this podcast, but I am not nearly as smart as I look, right? My one of my favorite days in gaming was nine nine ninety nine. That's because that was the day that the Dreamcast launched. And it was tagline its thinking. And now I'm talking about help shift and the concept of AI. And I know we don't do gen AI. So there's different types of AI. And, and you know, people say AI now, and I think they automatically think, oh, open uh chat gpt right and i don't think that's the case right so maybe you can give us a high level understanding of what i would say the different types of level of ai are right there's deep learning there's machine learning there's now generative ai for for people who aren't as smart as you what's kind of the the difference between these so uh, uh, the way the industry is uh you know when i first first got into this five four or five years ago people were talking about ml and, and deep learning all the time right and ai was not really mentioned, and especially in games, AI very much referred to pathfinding and and rule based systems that that made you know Pac Man etc. feel feel intelligent, and that's really the definition of AI. Those were correctly labeled as AI. They are AI is any system that appears to be doing things that requires intelligence. Right, so right from the earliest days of video games, we've been programming uh, state machines and and pathfinding systems that can make the NPC appear to be intelligent. Right, I mean maybe not in the earliest days, but the ghosts in Pac-Man reacted to what you were doing. Right, later on the NPCs, you know, the guards patrolling whatever you were trying to stealth uh, stealth infiltrate, they. They turned if there was a noise, right? Um, and they, they would walk towards you and kind of investigate where you were hiding. Um, those are all mostly state machine-driven systems, and, and they are, by definition, AI. They're, they are artificially intelligent. Um, then machine learning is where a system is being trained not by a, a detailed set of rules and states, but by data. It's being shown a lot of data, and, and it's... Uh, finding those patterns and learning that behavior. Machine learning was the first time that term was used, was actually in a paper about a checkers game 
and a creator wanted to thought of machine learning as the ability to create a game that could learn to play better than him, right? So exceed its creator's understanding of how to play checkers. Um, I'm not sure if it ever did, but it got really close to his skill, beat him occasionally. Um, but that was the first use of the term machine learning. So that's uh, not really explicitly programming behavior into a system, but rather showing it a lot of data and, and letting it figure it out. Uh, deep learning is a system, a subsystem of that, which uses neural nets, which are essentially algorithms that were inspired by the way our brains work. And these can get really, really big. And in, in recent years, they've become foundation models. There's been this uh, convergence of having enough data with all of the information on the internet, having enough compute, especially with all of the, the work that NVIDIA has been doing with GPUs, and having enough money you know, the, the money's been pretty cheap for the last decade and all of those things sort of converged. I like to think sparked by some work done by uh, ex-gamers uh, building AlphaGo and beating the World Go champion, which really woke the world up to uh, to what these uh, deep learning models could do. Yeah, that sort of spurned a, a huge influx of interest uh, in in AI again, right? And that was, that was uh, five, six years ago. Um, I forget the exact time, but what happened recently was, you know, you know, OpenAI, not to put all the blame on those, there were others as well. They sort of came along and they started labeling these, you know, the next generation of deep learning, these foundation models um, and, and uh, sort of the next step in the evolution of these models as AI, right? Which, which is, um, it's a little bit like Tesla inventing electric vehicles and, and deciding to call them all transport, right, or, or, or vehicles, right? It's, it's technically correct, but imagine if Tesla had started this trend where we all called our cars vehicles. You know, it's, it's yes, a Tesla is a vehicle, but it's a very small subset of the vehicle landscape, right? It's it's a it's a car. More specifically, it's an electric car. More specifically, it's an electric car with a certain set of you know self-driving capabilities and Calling everything AI is kind of like the new trend is to call every every car a vehicle or or all electric cars vehicles. So it's a little bit confusing and it, and it can get you know it can get contentious. Well, you know, should we be calling it AI? But but yeah, I think that boat has sailed. Right? It's it's sprung into the public imagination. People have suddenly captured the the term AI, and what they're almost always talking about is quite advanced deep learning, but. Only, only us nerds need to fret about that. So is that, I'm thinking as you're talking through Tesla, it's like the iPad or iPod, right? The original iPod. Everyone thought that was the first MP3 player that ever came out, and everyone called every MP3 player an iPod. But so you're, is it safe to assume as an end user myself, right? Like, is Gen AI just a conversational front end for me to look into something that's using deep learning? Generative AI is um, is a use case for deep learning and and these foundation models. So they've been used. You hear a lot of people talking about how deep learning and these foundation models are helping with protein folding and they're hope, helping with um, you know gene analysis and uh, lots of interesting things in in the medical space and in the financial space and they're helping to keep us safe and secure when we're online, you know, doing banking or, or playing a game that, you know, 
they're they're helping understand what's being said and identifying whether it's toxic or not. Um, And those are all uses of these foundation models that don't actually generate new content, um, but they're using these models uh, in a way that is really beneficial and is integrated into our into our entire lives from the personal assistant on our desks or you know in our kitchens those are all using deep learning uh, generative ai is perhaps a subset of deep learning or use case of deep learning right where those models are being used to create something net new and that's relatively new um and so that's where ChatGPT can write a poem for you, or Midjourney can create a piece of art for you, or you know there, there was computer vision for years and years, decades, right? Computer vision, you know, still does and is like critical to us to your Tesla again, right? It's as it's driving down the road, it's got those cameras there. Are, you've probably seen the videos of all the squares around the people and the cars and all the objects in the scene. That's computer vision, right? That's deep learning models at work. Uh, helping your car not crash or helping detect, you know, cars in your blind spot or whatever, you know, technology you have in your car or helping your smartphone focus on the eyes of the person you're taking a photograph of. That's all deep learning, but it's not generative. Generative is is a new wave, a new use case and a very, very interesting one. It's, it's not one that... Uh, you know, AI has been capable of until quite recently. GPT has been out for uh, four, four years, I can't remember exactly, four or five years since it first came out. I mean, it, it kind of caught fire when they put the chat interface on it, right, uh, 18 months ago, but it's it's been around a while. And so it's it's very new space, but it's very exciting. Um, yeah. It comes with its own challenges. Yeah, I, I realized this after saying it, and I sound silly, right? It's generative AI. It's generating new new content based on historical stuff and things it knows in its database. So so that makes a lot of sense. So this next question, just so everyone's clear, right, isn't necessarily about gen AI, gen AI. It's all about all AI, but let's talk about AI and the evolution of it in gaming. You know, there's a lot of cool things happening in gaming right now that's using AI and, and not just gen AI, just, you know, you talk about things like multiplayer, you talk about things like um, just all this new content that's coming up. What do you see happening in the next decade? What excites you about the potential that AI has? Uh, what worries you, if anything? I tend to be more of an optimist on on this kind of thing because uh, I've, I've seen a lot of a lot of uh, waving around of worst case scenarios. What if this technology does, you know, this this X thing? And and often there isn't really a great business case for that. Um, or society just reacts. Society always surprises. I think in the, in the long arc of time, right? Society tends to tends to react in a way and, and fix these problems. But I think the the future of of uh, you know AI's been games have been a, a very critical part of the evolution of AI, and AI has definitely helped with with games, um, with the evolution of games. There have been games all the way along that have used AI, like I said, even from Pong, right? The, the, the paddle on the other side of that game, right, appeared to be intelligent. So it's been there from the beginning. Um, but I think it's really exciting where AI can be applied, especially in areas like live ops, um, in in community health, uh, in community management, keeping us safe as we play. There's kind of the before Gen AI and after Gen AI, but all this technology that was before Gen AI is stronger now than it ever was because it's also benefiting from all this technology. So there's a lot of use cases. Even if we put aside AI creating new content, 
there's so many interesting use cases in games for for these foundation models um, and matchmaking, you know, pairing us with people so we have more meaningful matches, uh, managing which server we're connected to. Almost every part of our game playing experience can be enhanced uh, with AI, uh, with these foundation models and with this new capabilities that, that are coming from from deep learning. So I'm very excited by what it's going to do. But it's, I mean, it's going to lower the barrier for entry for game development, again, as game engines did before them and as you know, more accessible programming languages did before that. Uh, every time there's a new technology, more people get to be creators. Um, if you think about the user-generated content boom that we've been seeing you know, for, for like a decade now, uh, you and I were talking previously about, you know, the modding community, right? Used to be, you used to need to be a pretty serious programmer to, to mod a game, right? And now, uh, you know, kids are doing it in Roblox, right? People are, it's much more accessible, which allows people to be very creative, to create levels for their friends, to then have recommendations and find all the content, because the more the lower the barrier to entry, the more people are creating, the more content there is, which means to find the content that's going to really matter to you and resonate with you is, is becomes a harder and harder job. Again, another area where AI can come in and help you and help guide you like Netflix does to the content that's most likely to appeal to you. Um, so really at, at every point, I very much think of it like digital photography. I was I was in photography before it went digital, and, and for a decade we called it digital photography. I don't think people call it digital photography anymore because all photography is digital. I think uh, AI is going to do the same thing to game production. At some point, we're just going to stop talking about it because it'd be like talking about where can we use electricity in game production. You you mentioned an interesting point about modding, right? We we talked about that, and I, I love the idea of like you know playing Skyrim and typing in space theme Skyrim, which is Starfield, right? But maybe people want to build it in Skyrim, right? And seeing what's created. But it brings up that question of uh, ethics and what's responsible when it comes to using these tools in AI. And Stephen also let me know that his daughter gives him a hard time because he's not 100% familiar with everything Taylor Swift does. But Taylor Swift kicked off this whole thing, what was it, last week or late last week, right after the Chiefs win on uh, digital photography, right, uh, and being uh, being subject of uh, AI creation, and people are outraged that it took Taylor Swift to get to Congress, but at least it's there now, right? Who cares how it got there? But like, there's going to be this fine line at some point on what can we use, what can't we use? New York Times is suing OpenAI for data that they're using, and, and other thing like, how do you? And you may not be able to answer this, but how do you moderate that? How do you take those precautions? How do you how do you do that when when I guess it's different from an indie company to a AAA company to a, a a modder, right? But like when when do you have to start thinking about ethics and responsibility? How do you how do you manage that, especially with these companies that you're working with, because you don't know where their sets are coming from? It's a challenge um, for sure. There's when when we're talking to companies, we're trying you know about a new technology. And this is this is not new to Gen AI, right? Some of the challenges are new. Some of the you know some of the content creation challenges uh, are, are maybe slightly novel or new in Gen AI, but the problem of bias in data sets um, of a decade ago, banks using you know AI to 
to decide who gets a mortgage and who doesn't, and then figuring out that their data set is biased, right? Um, that, you know, it, it's favoring one demographic over another or, or, or one neighborhood over another. These these things have been happening. It's 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 one of the, the challenges of machine, of, of all machine learning, including deep learning, Gen AI, is bias. And we've seen that in our testing, right? And if anyone's played with these tools, you know, you, you can see them, uh, if you played with them a year ago, you know, and you typed in, you know, give me a picture of a doctor, you know, a year ago, you would have got six white dudes with stethoscopes around their necks in white jackets, right? Probably all of them over 50. Um, because when you look at the totality of what's on the internet and you say, like, label all the ones that are doctors, like, all the doctors look like that on the internet, right? But uh, the internet is not representative of the whole of the world. It's a, it's a very, you know, not not every doctor in the world has a profile photograph on LinkedIn, right? So um, the the data set is biased naturally, um, and so these problems of bias and and data transparency and aligning models with human values predate Gen AI, uh, but Gen AI has thrust the whole thing into the public view and has also made those tools more accessible. And uh, but I don't think. Uh, actually, until we talked, I, I the Taylor Swift, uh, the most recent Taylor Swift. Uh, issue it and actually passed me by. I, I missed it. It's a, there's so much news all the time. But as you say, you know, this was in front of Congress. Uh, um, you know, Sam Altman was in front of Conver- Congress, what was it, six months ago, talking about this. And then there have been, uh, been worries about what it's going to do for not only our elections, but other people's elections, the ability to do deep fakes, you know, uh, Pope in a puffy jacket, right? Um, you know, th- those things have been around. Now it's moved past images into text, uh, in, into voice, you know, cloning and video. Um, so as these technologies exist, it's the same old trolls coming back to us again, right? First of all, they were putting the Pope in a puffer jacket and there was a lot of, a lot of use of these technologies. Now it's cloning people's voices and, uh, or, or putting them in videos, but it's the same challenges. It's, it's how do you get your data set to be clean? How, do, how does the company providing this technology help the user police it and use it responsibly? And I think that's that's the bit where both society societal pressure and and business fit is gonna is gonna drive these tools. And we're seeing that already. Um, you know, uh, OpenAI. If you use uh, if you use you know, Microsoft's tools to create an image, they'll actually watermark it. Not a visible watermark we can see, but they're, they're watermarking it so that uh, they can tell that it's being created by um, by a generative tool, right? And you, you're seeing more of that. You're seeing more transparency about where the data set came from. And then if you're talking to these companies from an enterprise position, um, what, uh, what I find very heartening is that more and more they're, they're talking about the work they're doing to retroactively clean up their data set or build new models on completely or on, on data sets that are trying to be cleaner, whether they've you know tried to license the entire data set or they've tried to only source from the Creative Commons. You know, I think Adobe led the way there trying to build their Firefly engine with uh, just uh, images that they'd either licensed or were in in the creative in the in the uh, public space. From a from an IP perspective, others have followed suit. Um, so there's a lot of work there, and that's because 
their users, both enterprise users and everyday users, are pressuring them to be better at this. So, as I said, this is these are startup projects. Startup. This is research that suddenly becomes startups. I mean, even the the granddaddy in the industry, you know, OpenAI is like is only been in the had a product yeah. for for eighteen months. So these are all startups. They're still figuring it out, but they're 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 working hard to to clean up this uh, their data sets and be more transparent about how these tools are getting built. Yeah, it seems to be this large gray area that most companies are playing in right now. Because again, there's no rules. No, no. Well, there's rules and laws, but but how how do you determine who's following the rules and laws? But something you said I found interesting was kind of the mortgage companies kind of using data and may have false positives. The same with that. But what other kind of cross industry or, or verticals are utilizing these types of tools today that people may not be aware of? AI is is you know especially. Um, Especially in the in if you're living in a in a, a digital space space if you're working with digital tools if if your day to day is in front of a computer or working with uh, working with computers uh, you're interacting with with AI all the time without without probably even realizing it I mean one of one of the things I like to use as an example is you know photography used to be hard right go back and look in your old family photo album and and I would guess that unless you had a, an avid photographer in your family, uh, my photo albums, uh, family photo albums, are full of out of focus, uh, badly colored, um, you know, pictures of people with their eyes shut, right? Um, and it, you know, photography used to be hard. Um, now I can pick this up and I can, you know, snap a picture of someone at twilight standing in front of a bright light. Uh, and it will correctly focus on their eyes and it will set the right, you know, color balance and it will try and sort out the backlighting and I'll end up with a, you know, pretty damn good photo. And that's, there's a lot of AI goes into that, right? It's not just clever lenses. There's a lot of AI figuring out where to focus and everything and we're not aware of it. And there's so many touch points, the things we think of as AI, like our, like our home assistants, Things we maybe don't think of as AI, you know, how the power grid is being optimized to power our homes, or, or you know, how traffic is being controlled in our town. You know, all around us, AI is is positively impacting us. So we're about we're a little more than halfway through this, and I want to do our little fireball round and throw some curveballs at you. So you good to go with that? Yeah, sure. What do you have for breakfast today? Uh, butter coffee. What actually butter you... tea? I, I stopped drinking. I tried switched, but, but people know it as butter. Done with coffee. caffeine. Done with coffee. Uh, what uh, what show are you binge watching? Oh, I've just watched a very funny show uh, called uh, Deadlock, uh, which Deadlock. is out of Tasmania, and Netflix seems to be uh, 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 pointing me to a lot of uh, Australian and Tasmanian. Uh, uh, programs right now it's it's a very i found it to be a very amusing story about a a a pair of mismatched buddy cops trying to solve a a a rather prolific serial killer in their little town in in the back end of nowhere in tasmania and it it had a a lot of good aussie humor in or tazzy humor and it was uh it was it was great i loved it i've just finished that great what is your? Uh, what was the last book you read? Ah, now this one I'm going to have to look it up because I love listening. I'm listening to books all the time, 
but I am absolutely dreadful at remembering the title. So it was Competing in the Age of AI. And I should call out before then, the book I read before that I particularly enjoyed was Reality is Broken, which is about the video game industry. And it's a great read for anyone in the industry. Uh, um, I'd recommend that one. In case you don't get enough AI in your day job, you read about it after work as well. So that's... Yeah, Reality bro- is Broken is, is, is about games and, and uh, the use of games for, for the greater good of society. So that, that's less about AI. Speaking of games, and the last question is, what was the last game you played? Um, the last game I played is almost always Doom. Um, I uh, I love Doom. I, I I play it a lot. The last game I actually tried, uh, just to remind myself again, was uh, Osmos Plus, which is a game about. Uh, it's, it's kind of a. Uh, it's a it's a great little mobile game. I don't think it's that new, but uh, you're kind of this cell, and you have to eat the cells around you. That you know, you can't eat a cell that's bigger than you. But every time you eat a cell, you get bigger. Or, or wasn't that a game from EA years ago? Wasn't there a game? I can't like... remember. It reminded me a lot of Asteroids, actually, because you're kind of firing oh. yourself in in a direction, and then you're trying to. I don't know. It, it had Asteroid vibes to me, um, and. Uh, uh, I, I wasn't playing it for long. I think I played it for two or three days before I'd had enough of it, but that might technically be the last game I played. You're a Doom fan. I can see it because for those who are listening, but behind, behind Steven is a Doom poster and behind me is also a Doom poster. So we, we both And a Doom player Doom. shotgun. You don't, don't, don't forget the Doom player shotgun. There's a 3D printed yeah, shotgun printed that, that. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that I finished painting up this holiday. I'm very, very proud of my Doom Slayer shotgun. Well, if anyone knows John Romero and he wants to be on the podcast, he could come in and join Stephen and I, and we could just nerd out about Doom and what Doom has done since then. Um, so that's the end of our fire fireball questions here. I want to go back to the gaming side of things because we like to talk about gaming because we're a gaming podcast. And you mentioned things like live ops being exciting to you in the world of AI as well as kind of matchmaking. Can you go into a little more detail on, on what makes that exciting? Yeah, so when I first started looking at uh, applications of AI um, from uh, when I was at AWS, one of the areas that stood out to me, partly because we had some technology in the space, but also uh, just I felt it was an area, it just resonated with me as a father and a a game player myself, um, was the idea of using AI to make healthier communities. Game developers build games to create it. They build experiences. They have this, they have this experience in their head, whether it's a single player experience or a multiplayer experience that they want to create for people. And that experience can be very negatively impacted or positively impacted by the community that is attracted and how you reward that community or police that community. And I felt this was an area where there was, um, you know, great struggle, great need, uh, you know, there just weren't enough community managers in the world to stay on top of it as games got bigger and bigger and they got became more of like a social platform. And, uh, you know, people used to, used to, you know, have done for a while. They play games almost more to meet up with friends than to actually play the game, right? And so, especially during COVID, when so many people were online playing and, uh, you know, so many people were were 
under stress psychologically. I think it was it was a it was a moment in time when there was a lot of people online, and some of them weren't that happy for very understandable reasons. And it really felt like toxicity uh, and community health was was a big thing that that AI could tackle. So that's where I focused a lot of my attention when I first got into AI. Um, worked with partners like Spectrum, Modulate, but also with AI tools from within AWS, um, you know, Comprehend, Recognition, these type of tools that can identify you know, undesirable objects and images that have been created in user-generated content. Uh, undesirable behaviors can be identified with anomaly detection, whether it's cheating or you know, just, just unusual bad behavior. Um, and so it was an area where I felt that the AI was already applicable, could already be a big help, and uh, and was very much needed. So that was really where I focused first. Um, so yeah, community health and 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 how AI can help there has always been important to me. Yeah, I love that. We we spoke with Spectrum Labs in the uh, episode of the podcast, as well as Sharon Fisher from Keywords and, and uh, Modulate as well uh, on the podcast that, to learn about this. You know, it, it's crazy. I mean, you have to be completely in the dark if you don't know about the stuff that goes on online, right? But you have to also understand there's people that are moderating that and, and seeing this content is not easy on either side, right? We want to protect people from it, but we also have to, also have to protect our moderators. And it's really cool that what we've learned from Sharon and well as what you're saying is like the tools that have come out there to really help protect both sides. We want to make sure it's a good community, a, a safe community for our, our kids and even adults. And, and anyone of any gender to go on and enjoy it. And I mean, the more people that play games, the better, and the more we can protect these people from trolls, right? Tro trolls end up everywhere, I guess. That's the, the story mm -hmm. of life is you can't stop trolls from coming everywhere. But the more you can do to protect them, I think it's fantastic. And, and I agree with you. I, I love that side of AI that I don't think people always really think about that. I think most people, when they're thinking about AI these days, is really just kind of the chat GPT and mid-journey type of stuff and not really thinking about what tools might be existing in the back end. And I think understanding the difference between those and the importance of it in gaming is extremely important for people. Yeah. And I'd also say that you know, people also, when they do think about those tools, they think about them purely as, as a, you know, punitive police, right? Identifying bad behaviors, you know, coming down on it, either, you know, re-educating people to the rules of the community or chucking them out. But there's, you know, been proven there's a lot of, there's a lot of progress can be made with identifying you know, the heroes in your community, identifying uh, whether you call them, you know, champions, heroes, uh, mentors, you know, many communities are full of them, people who enjoy helping uh, noobs as they enter the game, right? Enjoy helping, you know, those, those people getting their start in the game. Come over here. We've got a great group. Meet these people. You should go over there, right? And these technologies can also help identify those people. Right. And and you can you can put a, a creative programs in place to to reward them for that behavior. And that can be, you know, more beneficial uh, in some ways than just kind to, you know, play that that eternal whack-a-mole game. Right. Um, encourage good behavior in the game. So that was that was one of the reasons why when when I did the initiative, I wanted it to be it was it was important to me that it was called community health and not content moderation. Um, because content moderation felt like it was part of the solution. 
And something I don't think we see enough is rewarding the positive in gameplay, right? Which you're talking about is, right? We, we, we spend so much, I remember GTA 3 coming out, right? And everyone talking about violence in games and blah, 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 blah. And I feel like we always hear about the negative side of what's happening in games, but no one really touts the positivity in games and what it can make a difference. And I think if we put more focus on on positivity, I think it spreads. I think it's a, it's a contagious thing. And the more people you see getting rewarded for doing good, the stronger these communities will build up. And I think it's all good. It's all good stuff. So in the world of gaming, we got a lot of cool buzzwords, right? We have, uh, I mean, looking back even over time, some of them aren't buzzes. They actually become things like 3D graphics were a thing. Online multiplayer, for kids didn't know, that wasn't always a thing. VR is catching on right now. We just had Apple come out with their their glass a couple days ago. Uh, Now we have Gen AI, um, and, and people are talking about that. And people are comparing it to NFTs, which NFTs might become something, right? We're not going to say aren't, but but how do you look at generative AI when it comes to gaming, and does it have legs? I, th- I think it it definitely does. Um, yes, I'm I'm an AI person, so I'm I'm potentially biased, but I've been an AI person long before Gen AI. So uh, you know, I've, I've believed in AI before it could before it could generate an image. Um, and it's impacting games. I think even the Gen AI uh, use case is very powerful. Um, when you look at uh, when you look at what people it's allowing people to do. And we talked previously about the modding community, about uh, enabling um, you know creators of all skill levels to be able to create. Um, I think these tools, whether it's helping you to write a script. Um, whether it's helping you to create images, um, I, you know, right now, I don't think it's you know really high quality content that's being output by these tools. Except such early days for these tools, but um, they do they do help in the creative process, um, and they help if you've got talent in that area. They help more than if you don't. Right? We're we're doing uh, experiments across keywords, as you say, and and. You know, when I see the uh, what artists are able to get out of, say, Midjourney, right, compared to what I can get out of Midjourney, it's night and day, right? It's it, there's no competition. It's it, they get amazing results out of Midjourney. Writers get amazing results out of out of out of um, uh, GPT four that I I couldn't do because um, my lack of artistic creativity um, stops me from writing the, the, the describing, you know, you have to first have the vision in your head to write the prompt to get the result. And an artist has that skill and they know what they want. And then when the result comes out, they can see what's wrong with it. Right. And I don't have either of those skills, right. I got some composition skills from my photography days, but you know, I always shot in black and white because I have really crap feeling for colors. Um, uh, you know, colorblind or anything, but I just, I don't, I'm not good at that, right? You know, picking a good color palette for a picture or design or anything like that. So that's why all my photography was always black and white. It was just easier for me. But in the tools of, of, of truly talented uh, people, these tools can do amazing things. Um, and so I think there's definitely a use case. And also, even if it, all it was ever used for was user-generated content, that would be a use case in itself that would be incredibly beneficial to the games industry. Um, and as I say, 
these tools are getting better at at figuring out the uh, the responsible AI side of it. You know, I think it was like sort of, I think of it almost like ethically sourced, right? You know, we're very aware of where our coffee beans come from these days, or or you know how the minerals were sourced for our for our iPhones, right? Apple always makes a big deal of its of its production. Uh, pipeline and and how it how it sources the minerals inside of of its cell phones. We we're only just starting that journey in AI, right? And and so yes, not everything is ethically sourced, and not everything is is you know the entire pipeline hasn't been uh, carefully doesn't have the oversight to make sure that everything's being done as well as we would like it. But the industry is is working hard at that. So, you know, if we presume we're going to get better at it, just like Apple has got better at, at you know, building ethically, ethically sourced phones and we have better ethically sourced coffee, um, we will have better ethically sourced, AI, you know, generative AI, in my opinion. And, um, and that's going to be very exciting for creators at every skill level. I like what you said in the beginning because, you know, I, I've played around with these tools as well, right? And I, I try and generate a piece of artwork in either Midjourney or Dolly. And I see other people, what they're doing. I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? And, and I think you've nailed it. It's like, you know, the right terminology, you know, the right types of brushes that you want to use, you know, the right palettes. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've Googled a hex code and be like, what colors go with this hex code? And like, I think as an artist or a designer or a coder, right? There's this human touch that can't be replaced. And yes, the gen AI tools might spark visions. They might spark ideas. They might help you get started. But the human touch, I still think, makes a difference. And I don't know when you can replace that human touch. I don't know if there ever will be a time when you really feel like this is perfect. This is it. But but I think it's a great starting place. And I I love the concept of Gen AI in games in certain places. Like I still dream of days when like I could talk with an NPC and maybe the NPC can take a look at what type of armor is he wearing? What type of weapons is he carrying? What's his name? What's all this stuff? What's all that stuff? And then almost you have this real time conversation. I don't know if we'll ever really get to a point like that, but like I think there's a lot of cool uses for it that I'm, I'm excited for in gaming, and, and we'll see if something like that comes out. Who knows? It, it's it's. Um, I met a PhD student who was studying that exact problem, right? And it's it's a that that's why I love my job. Is like it, there's just a thousand really fantastic rabbit holes to go down, you know. And, and even that NPC use case is fantastic. You walk up to the blacksmith; it's not your first time there. You've been there and upgraded your armor before. Then you went somewhere else and you got another piece of armor, right? Does the NPC ask you where you bought it? Is there some jealousy that you're shopping elsewhere, right? Um, and, uh, you know, what do they know about the news? Oh, you slayed the dragon. Word has reached us. That was amazing. I can't believe it, right? Um, now, some of that obviously can be scripted. And we've seen, you know, again, artificially intelligent NPCs doing some of that, but to, to have a conversation. There's been, you know, some amazing uh, demos of how that could work. You know, right now, the challenge is stopping it going off the rails, right? You know, so you walk up to the blacksmith in the medieval village and then you start asking it about, you know, which cell phone coverage it has, you know, and, 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 it, and it tells you that it, you know, it's recently switched from Sprint to Verizon because it's got, you know, an LLM back there somewhere that does know that these platforms exist and knows that people switch back and forward. And so, 
you know, suddenly you've got this medieval blacksmith talking to you about, you know, why they switched their cell phone plan. That's a challenge that you have to overcome as you start to put those systems in place. Yeah, not to mention right now, it's, it'd be pretty expensive, right? I mean, yeah. these, 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 uh, these models uh, don't run for free. They're not small enough to run on your device yet. Getting there is some really interesting work in that space as well that I'm very excited about on device AI. It helps with privacy. It helps with, uh, you know, with latency. You know, so we could reach the point where there could be a, a, a very capable LLM running on your PlayStation 6 um, and uh, it's able to give the NPC that level of, of, of uh, you know, engagement. But then the other element of that is that there's still going to be a, um, an experienced designer who, uh, you know, a, a, someone who's trying to craft a story and an experience for you. And so from their point of view, it's a little bit like having actors ad-libbing on stage, right? Maybe you want to allow it a little bit and some directors want to give their actors some freedom, but you want to be able to control how free they are when they're ad-libbing. There's a question then is and right uh, the Samsung S24 Galaxy was just announced and it announced it has an onboard AI chip and I think a lot of people think that's gimmicky and maybe at this stage it is gimmicky but but do you think that in time there's real world applicability to that? I haven't looked into that chip. I think that's absolutely where we're going to be going. Uh, I think it's where we have to go. Um, there's a lot of um, you know, healthy, probably well-informed speculation about Apple secretly, you know, going to become a giant in the AI space because, you know, from their point of view, you know, they've been doing a lot of work to put a lot of the security, to put a lot of those uh, engagement loops uh, on the phone so that when you ask, uh, you know, the personal assistant, name I won't mention, but as you ask the personal assistant, you know, for something, they don't always have to go out to the cloud, you know, transmit your private data to get you an answer. And uh, when you think about a personal assistant, which for many people is like the ultimate AI aid, right? It's Microsoft's co-pilot. So, you know, it's all about helping us do the things we want to do. And for me, that private assistant that's helping me with my calendar and is helping me, you know, schedule meetings and do stuff and get through my day and remember to go pick up my daughter and those other three things I wanted to do today that I haven't got to. And, you know, I'm overdue a doctor's appointment, whatever it is, right? That's all very private data to me um, that I, I, you know, some of that at least um, I'm not going to want in the cloud. And so it, it requires the AI, it requires the actual model to be accessing private data that's only on my most private devices. And plus, from a latency point of view, uh, from a privacy point of view, and if you know who's going to pay to run all these these personal these super powerful personal assistants if they're being run in the cloud, right? Now I have to pay a subscription fee. Whereas if it can run on here and I don't have to pay a subscription fee, that's also attractive. So I think on-device at AJI is, is going to be a big thing in the next, uh, I, don't, I don't want to put time on it, but the next couple of years, we're going to start to see some some really powerful uh, extensions of, of that AI uh, right to the edge. Stephen, I have two more simple-ish questions for you. Uh, one is a fairly straightforward question. With all this AI talk that we keep talking about, which AI assistant do you trust the most or do you use the most? I think I use 
Siri the most just because um, that's the ecosystem I'm in. My watch and my phone and my laptop, both all, all everything lit up there. Um, <laughs> uh, if you dig into them, they can be very powerful. I, I, I dictate a lot of notes when I'm on, you know, when I'm out on a walk or something and I'm listening to an audio book and I suddenly want to, uh, you know, make a note of something. I can just, uh, tap the back of my phone to wake up the, uh, a little script I've written, which then does a dictate, you know, I, I just say what I want to say and it dictates, it transcribes, it puts it in my note of the day. It's all automated. It all works. It's, uh, feels like magic every time I do it. And there's lots of little hacks like that. Um, so I think just because it's the one that I carry with me on my wrist, that's the one I use the most. It's a good move. I, I invested in Alexa and I think your previous comment where it costs, it's expensive to maintain a, a cloud AI. I think Amazon has kind of realized that and, and Alexa's not quite as sharp, I feel like, as she used to be and she's not keeping up with the uh, competitors like I feel like she should be. Um, last question, not really a question, but you will be at GDC. What, you, what are you going to be doing at GDC? Uh, well, I'm going to be, uh, I've got a couple of talks. Keywords is, is doing a couple of events that I'm going to be at. Uh, I hope more um, uh, aiding conversations than talking. Um, I like to hear from our customers and other people, but uh, not sure exactly how it's going to shape up. But yes, Keywords has a, has a good presence at GDC this year, as always. I'm going to be there, Not you know, I've been going for many, many years. I, uh, for those of you that, for those that know me or those that don't, I, I very much like to take meetings by walking around the uh, the Yabba Garden, which is a, a lovely little park right above, kind of above behind the convention center. So as long as the uh, the weather isn't miserable, you'll find me doing uh, walk and talks with customers and and other folk uh, there as well. So I look forward to seeing a lot of uh, uh, old friends and and new ones at, at GDC as always. Awesome. And I heard a rumor that if you have an extra coffee and you give it to him, you can jump to the front of that line to get talked to him because we all need coffee uh, every morning at GDC. But Stephen, this has been a pleasure talking to you. We've learned so much. I, I am glad to be able to myself learn something here and share it with our audience. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone? Um, no, you know, keep an eye on what we're doing here at Keywords. I think we're doing some exciting work. And uh uh, get out and play with some of those tools. There They'll you go. surprise you in many different ways. Awesome. We will have a link to uh, information about Stephen. You can check him out at the Player Engage podcast website or check him out at GDC if you're going. Again, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. This is great.